The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday. That's right, your chance to sound off on issues of a... To a nature, that's the Second Amendment, man. The Second Amendment, man. That's right. The uh, the the one right that allows all the other rights to exist at all. Thanks for coming in and joining us. It is uh, it is Friday, our favorite day of the week. What I like to call my two hour therapy session every week, where we get a chance to talk about uh, all the issues that are concerning us uh, in the country in this uniquely American ideal of self-defense and protections. Um, So, uh, how are you? Good morning. Welcome to the program. Today, we have got a... um, well, we've got a lot. We've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on this morning. We're going to be diving into it uh, here in just a few moments. Our guest today include Dr. John Lott, who is not only an author, a statistician, a columnist, uh, he is also the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, and he has put out some very interesting pieces uh, recently in regards to the uh, the, uh, spate of shootings that we've seen across the country, trying to put things into perspective. And um, I uh, am looking forward to talking with him this morning about that and uh, and other things to get really into the meat of it um, and talk, you know, respectfully about some of these tragedies that are going on and what can really be done to fix the problem. Uh, and... Uh, you know, again, little uh, little foreshadowing here. Most of the proposals that you're seeing right now from all the talking heads and the uh, political leadership, and even people like yes, one of our favorite people, Matthew McConaughey, would not necessarily fix the problems that we're dealing with right now. So we're going to have a conversation about that, and uh, we're going to uh, <clears throat> we're gonna we're gonna. We're going to talk about that uh, directly here. Um, but I do have a little bit of uh, good news and some special deals for Firearms Friday listeners because, hey, <laughs> hey, there's some good deals going on. If you have been looking to get uh, some professional training uh, with firearms, uh, then uh, there I have, a, I have a solution for you. I have a solution for you especially if you live in the South Central area. 
Uh, my friend Donna Anthony, uh, who is a professional, uh, former law enforcement professional trainer, uh, owns Point Blank Firearms Training, has got some special deals uh, going on right now uh, over at AlaskaRadioAuction.com. We had our big radio auction last week, and we had a few certificates up for Point Blank for those of you who wanted to go get firearms training. And, of course, you'll remember that the rule of three from this program, the rule of three states that if you're going to go forth armed, if you've decided that you would like to you know, conceal carry and go forth to protect yourself and others, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility that I call the rule of three, which means if you are going to spend, for example, $500 on a firearm to carry concealed, that you should be ready, willing, and able to spend three times the amount of that purchase on your overall preparedness for that event. $500 for the firearm. You should also be able to, uh, you know, be willing and able to spend $500 on good accessories, which include a good solid holster. There have been more negligent discharges with bad holsters than almost anything else in this world. I mean, nothing worse than having a $500 uh, firearm, trying to stuff it into a $5 flippy floppy Uncle Mike's nylon clip inside the belt holster. Get yourself a good holster. You're going to spend $500 on accessories like a holster, spare magazines, training stuff like whether it's just snap caps or dummy rounds or whether it's one of the fancy you know vision x use your iphone to target you know to 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 uh, to target and train with or whatever $500 there and then finally $500 on good professional training and i'm here to save you a little money on that point blank firearms has got uh, two certificates up on alaskaradioauction.com the first one is for just a basic pistol course for one person. And it could be for you ladies, if you're a little intimidated, uh, you don't, you know, by the guys or whatever, um, uh, uh, Donna will put you in an all-woman class if that makes you more comfortable. Or for a co-ed class. This class is good for anybody who's new to shooting, who's never taken a course, who wants to find out more. It's a basic pistol course. Retail value is $125, but you can get it right now for $69 at alaskaradioauction.com. I'm posting the, uh, I'm posting it up in the chat room right now so folks can go take a look at it. Um, but there's only three of those left. And then the second one is if, again, if you've decided to go forth armed, she has a concealed carry permit course. Now, of course, in the state of Alaska, this is a constitutional, you know, constitutional carry state. We were the second one in the nation to put that in place, meaning if you can, if you legally can own the firearm, you could legally carry it. But I'm telling you right now that if you're going to go forth armed, it's always a good idea to get this, to take this course, if not to, you know, sub, to submit for your concealed carry permit. Although at that point, why wouldn't you? Uh, because you'd get reciprocity in many states uh, with your permit, meaning you could take your permit and your firearm to other states and use it because they recognize it. Um, and you can, uh, I think they've got the, the bypassing of the NICS check back up as well with that. But either way, it will teach you the legalities. The uh, It introduces you to the uh, Alaska's use of force laws and the justifiable use of force for self-defense. It covers all the statutes and everything else. It gives you a basis for understanding. Now, normally that's a $225 class. Right now, uh, it's only $124. Uh, but there's only six of those in stock. So if you want to do it, 
Uh, and uh, you can get two of them and take a friend, take a spouse, take a loved one, uh, you know, whatever. These are both available up at alaskaradioauction.com right now, uh, but it's first come, first serve. So the first uh, the first uh, handful of people who go out there and pick these up um, are going to get them. And in fact, if you're just brand new, you could get the basic firearm course and get the concealed carry course um, for less than 200 bucks total. And you would, you know, so the rule of three, you don't have to spend the $500 on training. You can get $500 worth of training uh, for just under 200 bucks. Uh, so go on out to alaskaradioauction.com right now and uh, just so- just search up point blank firearms and you'll find those certificates. They are ready to go right now. Professional training from former law enforcement uh, and uh, active shooter instructors and everything else. You'll get, you'll get, there's a, just go right now. Do it right now. All right. Um, so those links are also, by the way, posted up in the chat room for anybody that wants to go check it out. Yeah. All right. Um, so some of the stories that uh, we're going to be covering uh, today, including um, the surge in interest in armed school staffers, even while even while many of the talking heads on the left and the NEA and others are continually talking about how they don't want to have school staffed armed, that they shouldn't, that they shouldn't be in a war zone and, you know, all these other kind of things that you keep hearing, uh, demanding that everybody else disarm themselves and do all this kind of stuff. Um, the interest in having uh, school staff armed continues to grow, even in a blue state like Colorado. Uh, Faster Colorado, which is an organization dedicated to training uh, school employees uh, to be able to protect themselves, uh, had an interview with uh, Cam Edwards over at BearingArms.com the other day, and uh, they talked about the overwhelming interest the group has received since the Uvalde incident and um, they have been uh, very excited. According to Laura Carno, uh, she said that currently 37 of the state's 178 school districts uh, currently participate in their FASTER training, which is a multi-day course of instruction offered with the support of donors and the Independence Institute, which is a free market think tank in Denver. The program, now in its sixth year, has primarily instructed teachers and staff from smaller school districts in rural areas, as well as charter schools in some of the state's most populated areas. But she says that over the last two weeks, she's heard from a, uh, from a number of normal school districts that uh, might already have a school resource officer or something else like that, that they have uh, staff members who are hoping to add another layer of security for students and staff alike. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Despite the massive increase, though, which Carno says could lead to faster Colorado training as many as 1,000 school staff members this year alone, teachers, unions, and many educators continue to publicly oppose the idea. Speaking during a House hearing on several gun control measures that were on the floor Wednesday, National Education Association President Rebecca Pringle criticized arming school staff and demanded that lawmakers impose new gun control laws instead. We cannot uh, we cannot place enough armed guards at every school building in America to protect our babies. We cannot ask educators to carry weapons and wear body armor while teaching and nurturing our students. 
Because the time that someone has thrown has shown up with military weapons, it's already to this military weapons and weapons of war thing. I I have a rant. I have a rant coming on this. I can tell you right now, this whole military grade weapons or weapons of war, right? I mean, this is the language that they use because it inflames. It inflames all this stuff. Um, uh, but the whole idea is is that somehow. Uh, school teachers, not only do they need to disarm themselves and not be able to protect themselves, they're not able to protect their students. And somehow, just because you decide to carry concealed, somehow that consumes your mind for the whole day. You can't possibly be thinking about school teach, uh, you know, teaching kids or doing something or offering support or doing because you're carrying a firearm. Somehow you can't multitask. Now, as somebody who's carried a firearm every day for the last 30-plus years, I can tell you something right now. You can carry a firearm and think about other things. Yeah, I mean, that's what the police do, right? I mean, police officers, detectives, uh, armed guards, I mean, they're able to carry a firearm and still think about other things as well. I mean, right? Anyway, um, this is an interesting statistic because I think people are seeing past the rhetoric and realizing that regardless of what the unions are saying, regardless of what many of the talking heads are saying, they want to be able to defend themselves, if nothing else. Because, you know, in these incidents, teachers die uh, just as well. I mean, we've heard her- heroic stories. The Virginia Tech shooter, remember that? That was a, uh, there was a professor who was, Gosh, I think he was in his 80s, late 70s, early 80s, and he stood up to the gunman and defended the classroom with his life, with no with no weapons, barehanded, and was gunned down. Wouldn't it have been nice for him to be able to, to be able to defend himself in that kind of situation? So we're at least seeing some of these things move in the right direction. Um, yeah, Israel has armed teachers in schools. They seem to be doing just fine with, you know, being able to teach and still, you know, protect themselves and others. It's an interesting, interesting thing. Anyway, that's just one of the stories we're going to talk about today. Uh, there's, I've got some other ones, but wow, we're already, this is the fastest two hours in radio. We're already up to the break and we're going to jump over here and talk in just a moment with Dr. John Lott. So uh, I guess we should get ready for that. So um, we'll be back. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more and Dr. John Lott when we return. It is... Firearms Friday. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Hi, how are you? How are you guys doing this morning? Good morning, good morning, good morning. I saw a lot of good mornings this morning. Um, 
uh, from uh, a whole bunch of you. My dad is still in there. Hey, Dad, what's happening? Uh, Rick, uh, Michael, Bill, Susie, Barbara, Brian, Nick, Jack, uh, Terry, Doty, uh, Greg, all the folk. Hello, good good morning, folks. How are how are you doing? How are you doing? Thanks for coming in. Um, thanks for thanks for coming on in. And Donna is a nice person. Donna Donna Anthony. Yes, she is a very nice person. Um. Um. Okay, Bill is saying something here. Wait a second. Forgive me for the long post, but my current girlfriend leans quite liberal. We got into a big discussion last night regarding AR-15s. She's dead set on believing the hype of the small entrance, huge exit wound BS, and that the assault rifle rounds blow the hell out of people. She has agreed to go to the range and let me prove her wrong. She does shoot. She has a twenty-two and a shotgun, but I need good target ideas to prove her theory wrong regarding the small entrance and exit wound theory. She works for the DA's office and claims she's seen autopsy photos to prove her theory. Well, I mean, you could do, I mean, you could get some ballistics gel. You could make up your own ballistics gel and, uh, and, uh, go check it out. You know, you can make ballistics gel in a five gallon bucket and turn it on its side and, and try that out. Um, you could do, uh, water jugs and then show her a big caliber rifle versus a small caliber rifle. Um, you know, uh, I mean, there's, you know, look, the ARs is meant to, you know, was designed to tumble and wound and do everything else, but it is not as effective at actually killing people versus a large caliber rifle. It can, I mean, there are plenty of people been killed by a 223, but it's not, you know, again, this whole thing where they just blow it up into it's being the biggest, you, you think it was an elephant gun, the way they talk about it. Um, weapons of war. Uh, just irritate that whole weapons of war thing just irritates me. The military grade weapons, military grade. If you've got a military that, uh, if you've got a military that is utilizing the weapons that they're talking about, you've done something wrong because, uh, you know, they should have, you know, like belt feds and, uh, you know, squ- higher squad caliber machine guns, you know, battle rifles. They should have all that kind of stuff. Uh, if they're working with AR-15s, somebody's done something wrong. I'm just saying that. I'm just just saying that right off the bat. All right, let's get Dr. John Lott on the program and uh, see what he has to say this morning. We'll get things ready and uh, get things going on. One ringy dingy. One Ringy diggy. John Lott. Good morning, Doctor. It's Michael Dukes calling. Yeah, could you call me back in like one minute? I can, in fact. I can. I can. All right. All right. Dr. John Lott will call him back in just a minute. Yeah, you could shoot watermelons. You can do, although watermelons will pretty much blow apart if you shoot them with anything that is going very fast. I mean, the bullet is supersonic, so it's going to create, it's going to create some stuff in there. Um, Guess back in the times that they hacked each other with axes and swords would be more accepting to them. I, I mean, that's they'd like us to see us all armed with sticks and stones, so that our betters could have uh, you know firearms and and make sure that we protect ourselves. That's that's what it all that's all matters right there. Okay, the school shooting issue is like trouble with bears. If you understand bears, you take measures not to attract them, says Sean. Yeah, no, I agree. And in fact, Dr. Lott is um, um, uh, Dr. Lott is uh, uh, going to talk a little bit. Well, he's got a new article in Newsweek. Shotgun slugs or 50 BMG, which makes a bigger hole? Well, the slugs would make a bigger hole, 
But what makes a bigger exit wound? Uh, I mean, it's all based on kinetics and I mean, there's a lot of things on that, but I mean, just straight numbers, the shotgun slug is what, a 70 caliber? Is that right? Is it 12 gauge? Is something like a 70 caliber? But again, uh, I would probably rather be shot with a shotgun slug than a 50 BMG because, oof, I've seen what happens when people get shot with those. It's not, it's not a pretty sight. All right, we're going to do this one more time here, and we're going to jump into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We are ready to go. Dr. John Lott, our guest. Here we go. Let's get it done. All right, welcome back. It is the Michael Duke Show. Sorry there, we're getting things squared away, getting ready to jump into it with our first guest for today. And that is Dr. John Lott, author of many books, including, of course, uh, the probably most infamous More Guns, Less Crime, his uh, uh, The War on Guns, and many, many others. He's also a statistician, a columnist, and the prese- and the president, the presenter, the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, he's got an article up in Newsweek here, which I'm posting up in the chat room right now, uh, which uh, touches a little bit on the tragedy that occurred there in Uvalde and why a lot of these uh, options that we keep hearing about are not really going to solve any of our problems, which we've talked about on this program uh, many times. Dr. John Lott joins us this morning. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming on board and joining us. All right, so we know the knee-jerk reaction, Dr. Lott, uh, in, in any of these situations is essentially it all boils down to we must do something. That's That's the answer because it is a... Horrific event. We're not going to dis- we're not going to debate that. It's a horrific event. It's tragic, and the public is outraged, fed by the news media and everything else. And so politicians feel obliged to do something. The problem is, is that most of these responses are emotional responses, and what they're actually proposing would do usually nothing, if very little, to affect these things. And this article that you wrote says the focus on gun control won't solve our problems here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why you say that is. Well, uh, my concern is that they're more likely to make things worse or have no effect. Uh, I want to do something, but I want to do something that's actually related to these attacks. So, you know, we have uh, Biden and others going out and saying, well, we need background checks on the private transfers of guns. I, w- I want someone to point to one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped if such a law had been in effect federally and it had been perfectly enforced. Right. Because I can't find such a case. Right. Uh, You know, they want to go and push red flag laws. And 
And I think the evidence is that these red flag laws actually increase suicides rather than decrease them. Look, very few people talk about the fact that we already have better laws on the books. If they want to make some tweaks to those, fine, let's talk about them. But, uh, but so what we have right now, all 50 states, including Alaska uh, and the federal government, have uh, what's called uh, involuntary commitment laws. It goes by different states, uh, right. names in different states. Right. Uh, uh, the Baker Act in Florida or the 5150 in California. I'm not sure what it's called off the top of my head in Alaska. But um, what happens is, is that uh, if a friend or neighbor or relative believes that you're a danger to yourself or others, they can call up the police. And uh, if the police believe that there's a reasonable suspicion, which is like a 20% probability or so, uh, they can take the person in uh, for a mental health evaluation. Mental health care experts will evaluate the person. And if they believe that uh, there's a concern there, uh, there can be an immediate hearing. And the judge, if you can't afford a lawyer, one is provided for you. And a judge then has an, a large range of options that they can take. They can go and uh, just say, look, I'm concerned. I'm not going to involuntarily commit you. But if you agree to uh, you know, outpatient voluntary commitment, uh, you know, we'll have you back in a couple of weeks and we'll evaluate the situation. Or, you know, if they wanted to, they could take away your gun or if they can involuntarily commit you. But there are other things that they can do. Um, the red flag laws essentially gut all those uh, protections that are there. If all that happens with red flag laws is uh, uh, if somebody's concerned, they put in a complaint. The only thing that the judge sees in front of him is the written complaint. There's no ability for you to go and challenge anything that's there. Uh, you don't even know that uh, there's a complaint there. Right. The first thing you know that there is an issue is the police are showing up at your door at 5 a.m. in the morning in order to uh, to take your guns. Right. Uh, maybe within a month after uh, that happens, uh, there will be a hearing. And uh, uh, all that happens at, at that point it, is if you lose, as you, your guns are taken away from you, the judge has no other options. There's no mental health care people involved in the process. And these red flag proceedings are virtually always used because of concerns about suicide. Right. And, uh, uh, and you, you don't get your lawyer paid for. And what happens is, is that, uh, for most of these cases, uh, it costs about ten thousand uh, dollars for a lawyer uh, to help you through the hearing. And the problem is, is that uh, you may want to keep your guns, but is it really worth ten thousand dollars to you? And the vast majority of people say no. Right. And so, the or they don't have the money, is, right? Or they don't have the money right. to do it, right? Right. And so, uh, what happens is, is that. They simply uh, lose their guns uh, because they they don't have any legal counsel there. But, you know, the notion that if uh, you're really concerned about somebody committing suicide, that if you simply take away their guns, you've solved the problem, isn't a serious, you know, proposal. Right. Uh, it's just that the gun control people 
want to make it seem as if, well, once you take away a person's guns, then problems are solved, you know, because it's the guns which are the entire problem there. Uh, you know, but it's it's not serious. And uh, uh, it's a lot easier to go for gun control people to set up an entire new law than it is for them to go and take existing law and gut the protections that are there. Right. Well, and, and the, the biggest problem with all the red flag laws, of course, is from a constitutional standpoint, is the complete the and total lack of due process. I mean, there is right. no, well, you're, you're never warned about it you, you and you can't face it. And again, you mentioned in your article, there's only one red flag flaw, uh, red flag law in the entire U.S. that even mentions mental health or mental illness in its in its uh, in its uh, in its guts. And we already have other laws on the books for that. Why aren't we using those laws? Right. Well, I mean, e- even in the one time when they mention it, they don't they do nothing more than just mention it. Red uh, mental health care experts are not involved in the process in any of these states. And, uh, um, you know, if you're really concerned about somebody uh, committing suicide or something, you would think you're going to want to get them some help. Right. You know, you you just don't. And you want to have some type of expert evaluate them. Right. You don't want to you just don't want to have just simply a neighbor writing a written complaint as uh, as the basis for your decision on that. Well, and I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh, what, uh, oh, the executive director for the Crime Prevention Research Center, uh, Nikki Gozer, uh, she uh, had, uh, she watched a, a stalker murder her husband in front of her uh, about 13 years ago. Uh, this guy had, had been stalking her and uh uh you know obviously as anybody would be she was incredibly depressed afterwards and uh you could imagine uh some neighbor or friend or whatever saying look i know nikki's extremely depressed uh she owns a gun i'm concerned and and all the judge would see would be that well taking away her ability to defend herself after one of her stalkers uh, uh, just murdered uh, her husband in front of her would make things even much worse. Uh, She'd be afraid to go out of the house uh, if that was the case. Uh, But if you, if you have uh, one of these Baker Act type rules, uh, first of all, she would see a mental health care professional and she could explain the situation to the mental health care professional. And even if the mental health care professional, uh, you know, didn't agree with this, uh, she still would have her day in court. And if she couldn't afford a lawyer, which would was unlikely at the point of time that she could have, uh, one would have been provided for her. Right. But well, look, we all we all acknowledge that a big part of all these issues are mental health issues. And what would have a more chilling effect on people who should be seeking help than saying that if you talk to anybody, you talk to your family, you talk to your neighbor, you talk to your best friend, you talk to your coworker, exactly. let alone let alone talking to an actual psychologist or, or a psychiatrist. I mean, what would be more chilling to them if they are gun owners than to say, I can't talk to anybody about this because they could involuntarily just rip my guns away uh, that I may need to protect myself, even though that's not part of the problem. It has a super chilling effect. Exactly. What you're saying is exactly right, because uh, it may simply talking to people 
when you're depressed can be extremely important in helping you cope with things, helping right. you get over the depression. Well, uh, but you're exactly right. Uh, you know, they understand this kind of point in other areas, but for some reason, when it comes to guns, uh, uh, liberals kind of refuse right. to acknowledge that uh, this can have, and it's not just for somebody like her. Take right. police officers. Uh, police officers tend to be depressed at a relatively high rate compared to everybody else. They tend to commit suicide at a relatively high rate. Uh, but you take away a police officer's guns, and you've taken away his go- job. Yeah. Well, so do we really do we really want a world? where police officers are afraid uh, because they're going to lose their jobs uh, to go and talk to other people about the horrible things that they see on their job that make them depressed. Well, that's been, that one really? of the, yeah, that's what been one of the biggest problems, again, with like veterans coming home from war zones who want to talk, who need to work through things like PTSD and trauma that they experienced on the battlefield, but they are becoming terrified to talk about it because the second that they say they may be suffering, they're afraid that they're going to lose their gun rights on top of that. These are people who are trained and used firearms every day and did all that. And and it's the same kind of thing. So this is just one. This red flag thing is just one aspect of it. But you start off the article with what I think is a very interesting point. And you've made this point many times on this program and many other venues where you talk about here we have a gun-free zone. This is a place where people are banned from carrying concealed handguns, and um, yet perpetrators are searching out these areas. There was a the case in California where the kid wrote in his journals how he was trying to pick the place, and you talked about that in the past where he said specifically he was looking for a gun-free zone. And the Buffalo shooter, you write about that in the article. He says the same thing, right? No, exactly. I mean, the bizarre thing is, is that time after time, where these guys have left written records, uh, they explicitly talk about uh, how they picked the target that they did. Uh, you know, it's just amazing that, as you say, the Buffalo shooter that we just had went through, had a very vivid description of his ideal target, that he wanted to go to a place where people didn't have permitted concealed handguns. Uh, because it made it easier for him to go and do the attack. You know, the bizarre thing is the gun control people said, well, uh, you know, this good guy with a gun stopping these attacks doesn't work because um, in the Buffalo grocery store attack, uh, there was an armed uniformed guard there, uh, even though nobody else had, nobody had a concealed handgun. And what they don't seem to understand, and I've written about I don't know how many times, is if you have one person in uniform who has a gun, and this murderer had had cased the grocery store, so he knew that there was a guard there, he knew where the guard stood, um, uh, you have a a real tactical advantage over that one person in uniform. you know, if you kill that one person in uniform who has a gun, uh, you're going to have free reign to go after other people at the at the place there. And so who do you go after first? Right. And, you know, being a guard, whether you're the lone guard at a school or someplace else, um, you know, so you have somebody in an elementary school. Uh, they're in uniform. They're there day after day, week after week, month after month. Uh, you know, what's the odds that 
anything's going to happen at any particular uh, elementary school. You know, see, we've had a couple big uh, school shootings at elementary schools. Uh, you know, there, there are tens of thousands of elementary schools around the country. Um, you know, it's a very boring job. Uh, it's hard to be on your toes day after day, week after week, month after month. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the killer there has a huge strategic advantage. He can either go and uh, uh, wait for the uh, person in uniform to leave the area before he engages in the attack, or uh, he can move on to another target, or he can kill that person first. And that's what they'll do if they are going to do the attack. Uh, they know if they take out that one one person with a uniform, so he's standing out there, he's readily identifiable. My, my point is, if you're going to have a police officer guarding a place, for God's sakes, don't put him in uniform. But that's what they do all the time. And and don't make it obvious that right, he's guarding right. the place. Uh, Hire him as a, as the gym teacher or something like right. that. At put the a place. put a put a mop in his hand and make him the janitor and let him walk around the school with an empty bucket f- filled with a firearm all the time or something. Doctor John Lott is our guest. We're coming up on the break. We're going to continue. I want to talk about some of the other things that the president has said here uh, since this is all taken off and some of the things that are being well we're being lied to about. Doctor John Lott, our guest. We'll continue with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Uh, Dr. John Lott is our guest. Uh, we're talking about, uh, uh, again, uh, some of the issues that are coming up on here. You know, I think the one thing, as a statistician, uh, Dr. Lott, you probably get a lot of criticism. There was a, I watched uh, the other day Anna Navarro, uh, who is supposedly a Republican, was, uh, was having an interview with, um, uh, with uh, Jonah Goldberg. And he basically just said, look, I, I just, you know, let's put everything kind of into perspective. And he talked about that, you know, they're the number of children in America, 54 million children who go to K through 12. And in the last 29 or 30 years, 170 have been killed in school shootings. So it's kind of like a statistical don't go too far over the edge. Don't make an emotional decision is kind of, I think, what he was trying to say. And when you look at it overall, and even if it's not just children, just even deaths, statistical deaths by firearm, and then even breaking it down further into a subset of long guns, and then breaking that even further down into the subset of the so-called you know assault rifles or black rifles or whatever, we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a fraction, and yet everybody acts as if it's happening on every corner every day. Everyone's a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. Everyone, every child, every person lost is somebody's, you know, child, mother, brother, sister, you know, whatever. But the whole thing is, is that statistically, it's still excruciatingly low, but we keep getting fed this idea that it's happening every day on every corner and you should be essentially jumping at shadows. Right. Look, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't agree with either of them. Uh, you know, at least he's pointing out because he was saying how much, uh, he agreed with everything that the actor, uh, McConaughey. Uh, McConaughey yep. was, was saying, 
Uh, and McConaughey just went through the litany saying, you know, we need background checks we, or changed background checks. We need red flag laws, you know, things that you and I just discussed. And uh, so he was in complete agreement with all the different types of gun control laws there. He was just saying, you know, uh, let's, not, you know, dial back the rhetoric a little bit on it. And, uh, you know, of course, she was for all those laws, but you know, having the the rhetoric that she had there. Um, I've never seen anything that she said that would make me believe that she's ever been remotely a Republican. But the um, uh, but I'm not sure he is either uh, on this stuff. Uh, so who knows? Uh, it's just. But again, the statistic, I think the whole thing is, is that you're basically going to throw ninety nine point nine nine percent of all legal, lawful, law-abiding American citizens, gun owners, and everything else, um, you know, you throw them under the bus because of the actions of a fraction of a fraction of a percentage of the people out there who are doing things, which, of course, suck up all the press in the room, get all the oxygen in the room. And and that's not the, I mean, that's not the answer because somebody drunk drives and hits a bus full of kids and kills everybody. You're not going to basically pass a new national law uh, and sue Ford Motor Company or sue Jack Daniels or, or everything else that they're talking about because this happened, you know, in one instance, a again, an anomaly, literally at the end of the day, statistical within the, almost the margin of error. It, it And again, not to trivialize the deaths, but to say you can't use that as a yardstick to punish 330 million Americans. Right. Look, uh I understand the desire to go and do something and it may be small. Uh, it's just that let's do something that's actually related to this. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, what, I guess what I would have pointed out is um, whether it's small or large, uh, you have to look at also the benefits that are there. Uh, I, on our website at crimeresearch.org, we have literally dozens of recent news stories of people using permanent concealed handguns to stop what otherwise would have been a mass public shooting. Uh, you know, you have these laws that go and ban guns in different areas or uh, ban certain types of guns or what have you. Uh, the thing is, who obeys those laws? And, and the problem is, is if you pass laws that primarily disarm law-abiding good citizens, not criminals, uh, you actually make it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. Uh, and the gun-free zones is a perfect example. Uh, um, uh, you know, I mentioned uh, Nikki Gozer earlier. Uh, she, her, her husband was murdered by this stalker in a gun-free zone. Right. She obeyed the law. Uh, at the time, uh, any establishment that served alcohol, you were not allowed to bring your permanent concealed handgun in. Uh, she obeyed the law there. She left her gun locked in her car uh, when she and her husband went in, were in that restaurant. The murderer obviously didn't do that. In fact, right. the murderer took advantage of the fact that she and others were obeying the law. And that's what these guys do. You read the diaries. You read the manifestos, like the Buffalo uh, murderer. Right. And uh, 
Yep. You know, so Hold. it's kind of like, would, would you put a sign in front of your home that said your home is a gun-free zone? Exactly. Somebody exactly. was... Hold, hold on. Somebody was hold on, John. I'm sorry. We're coming back to the radio. Hold hold on a second here. We're going to jump back into it. We'll start this discussion again. Continuing now, Dr. John Lott is our guest, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. You can find them at crimeresearch.org. In fact, they're putting together a whole cadre right now of shootings that have been stopped by concealed carry holders across the nation, showing that the defensive use of guns um, is, as we've talked about in the past, far outweighs the actual usage of guns in violent crimes as well. Um, we're talking about, uh, you know, what happened in Uvalde and in Buffalo and in other areas and how the reaction is from politicians to give off and reel off a litany of things that need to be done, most of which would not have solved any of these problems. We talked about background checks. A lot of these shooters have gotten their guns legally passing a background check. We've seen laws that have not been enforced. The Parkland shooter had had multiple interactions with both local and federal law enforcement and was still able to get a background check and go, This, you know, the Sutherland Springs shooters uh, had a dishonorable discharge that never got reported in the NIC system. We've seen that fail as well. But they continue to go on and talk about all these things. Uh, one of Biden's biggest, well, aside from his fact that the Second Amendment never guaranteed that you could buy a cannon, which is totally wrong because there were private owners of all kinds of firearms prior to this. I mean, that was an outright lie. But then his discussion goes on to talk about banning assault weapons and how his assault weapons ban was the perfect example of how every... And yet, that's not what the numbers show, Dr. Lott. No, it, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, look, you know, in the, I mean, I guess like on the Canon thing, uh, the media, uh, at least there are a couple fact checkers that will go and criticize him, but he uses it over and over and over and over again. Um, and it just doesn't seem to matter uh, to him or the White House. Look, um, uh, you know, if, first of all, if you, he claims that there's this big drop that occurred in uh, mass public shootings or right. attacks with assault weapons when, uh, uh, when the 1994 ban went into effect, and that's simply false. You 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 really see absolutely no change uh, in the number of attacks. If if the assault weapons ban were driving any change that might be occurring, uh, what you would see is a drop in the percentage of attacks using assault weapons. Uh, but in fact, what you find is that when the assault weapons ban went into effect the percent of, a t of mass public shootings using assault weapons actually increased. And then when the when it sunset in 2004, uh, the percent of attacks using assault weapons actually fell. So, you know, be the only way you can have it so that the assault weapons ban is driving any changes is that when the ban goes into effect, you have a relatively large drop in uh, attacks with assault weapons compared to attacks without assault weapons. Because you might actually have somebody who would have been using an assault weapon, if it matters now, to go and use a handgun or something. Right. Uh, and, but 
but you're not going to get a change in the total being driven by the assault weapons ban unless you have a drop in the share of attacks using so-called assault weapons. So, but look, uh, you, you and I know this whole definition of assault weapons is, is just made up. Um, you know, they and Biden and the Democrats, you listen to the discussion in the House Judiciary Committee uh, this last week. Um, you know, I don't know whether these guys purposely don't understand what a gun is or how it works or whatever, but it, it sure comes across that way. Uh, you know, they, they keep on referring to uh, an AR-15 as a weapon of war. Uh, the, the, a gun that the militaries use, which is completely false. It, it fires the same bullet with the same rapidity, doing the same damage as a semi, small caliber, semi-automatic hunting rifle. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, if they want to, you know, and Biden, uh, just uh, in the last week or so, uh, I guess just the week before last, was uh, t- talking about uh, nine millimeter bullets as being high caliber bullets, <laughs> and that nine nine millimeter bullets, any any gun that can fire nine millimeter or above, uh, should be banned. Eighty eight percent of the handguns sold in the United States use uh, nine millimeter bullets or above. Uh, you know, essentially. Uh, Virtually all uh, hand, uh, rifles uh, use uh, use that. I mean, you take uh, a 22 caliber long round rifle uh, bullet, and it's not that much different from a nine millimeter in terms of uh, uh, you know velocity, you know the. Ballistics, right. The ballistics, the damage ballistics, right. Uh, We're down to the last four minutes here, so I want to give you an opportunity. I mean, what is the solution? Uh, Because, again, they're giving us, you know, word salad and lies and innuendo and we must do something uh, kind of rhetoric. But what is, you know, part of the solution here in your mind, Dr. Lott? You've been looking at this for a long time. What, you know, what do you think fixes this? It's what we talked about earlier. You gotta, you gotta get rid of these gun-free zones. These gun-free zones haven't been around forever. Uh, you know, the federal gun safe school zone act got originally passed in uh, in 1990. It didn't go into effect. They had to revise it in 1995. But uh, you know, um, you know. You have to you can't ignore all these statements by these murderers about why they picked the particular target. I have to say one thing that's kind of amazing to me is the number of these attackers that actually say in their diaries or manifestos that they know after their attack, there's going to be a new push for gun control. Uh, The Buffalo uh, murderer actually picked using an AR-15 because he knew it was going to get people the most upset. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, and you have this bizarre situation where uh, New York has uh, has an assault weapons ban that's more, more strict than uh, uh, the federal assault weapons ban that Biden uh, touts all the time. And yet after the attack there, he goes to Buffalo 
And uh, he says, you know, these this attack and these attacks would be ended if we uh, had a federal assault weapons ban. And yet, you know, nobody in the press says, well, you know, Mr. President, the guy, as they virtually always do, got the gun within his own state. Um, and uh, they already have a law that's even stricter than the one that you're proposing. And it didn't stop. Right. That's the other if- thing. You know, they go and they say things like uh, these background checks on private transfers. I wish, I wish one reporter would go and ask, you say, okay, uh, you say this is the solution. Can you point to one mass public shooting this century that would have been stopped if such a law had been in effect and had been perfectly enforced? Just one, just point to one case. Of course they can. Of course they can. Dr. John Lott is our guest author of the book, The War on Guns and More Guns, Less Crime, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Dr. Lott, hold the line for a second. Thank you so much for coming on board this morning. We appreciate it. Folks, Hour 2 of Firearms Friday is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Sorry about that, Dr. Lott. We were up against the hard break there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just I find it ironic that nobody wants to ask those questions. There's really, you know, the lack of journalistic integrity in this country is astounding to me that they just, again, there may be some fact checkers that call the president on something, yet he continues to use the same trite and and obviously uh, untrue uh, uh, facts over and over and over again. And pretty soon people just act like, oh, that must be the truth. And, uh, you know, they're not doing a great job of it. And on top of that, they're capitalizing on the fear of these kind of things going on, which is what we were talking about earlier with the actual statistics. I mean, you know, when you have a fraction of a, of a fraction of a percent of people who are killed in this country uh, kill. I mean, in fact, it's the last numbers were it's almost twice as many people were beat to death with hands, fist and feet than were killed with all rifles, let alone AR style rifles. And yet. There's no hue and cry on that, but it's just become such a it's become such a spectacle that that's what we've come to expect in this country. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, the media doesn't even try to pre- present things on both sides. You know, there's so many myths out there, such as that the United States is somehow unique in terms of mass public shootings. Uh, you know, people go to our website at crimeresearch.org. Uh, you know, we have data from other countries. The United States is way below the world average. We make up about 1% of the world's mass public shooters, and yet we make up about 4.5% of the world population. Uh, you look at Europe, there are many countries in Europe. What people don't do is put these things in per capita terms. You have to adjust for the fact that we have over 330 million people in the United States. Right. Uh, You have countries in Europe that have three, four, five million people. The the most populous country in Europe is Germany with 80 million. France has 60 million. Um, You know, just simply having uh, four or five times the population of these other countries, you expect uh, us to have more of whatever. It's not like you're going to go and compare the number of murders in Texas to the number of murders in Alaska, okay, in order to try to figure out what the murder rate or the rape right, rate right. is or something. You, you have to adjust for the fact that, uh, you know, Texas, Texas may have— they got 10 times the population of Alaska, right? Well, I think it's more than 10 and maybe closer to 20 or something like that. But it's just, 
anyway, um, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta take those things into account, but yet, even though they'd never compare, uh, crime rates, uh, or crimes across states by just looking at the total number, uh, for some reason they're locked into doing that when it comes to, uh, mass public shootings. Well, it's because it it fits their narrative, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's a narrative that they that they want to they want to follow. That's why they do it. That's why there's uh, you know chicanery and and deception with the numbers is because it fits ideally into their narrative. What they want is that Americans should be disarmed, and if we all just had no firearms, we'd live in a utopian society. Except, of course, we know even from examples that they like to hold up, like England and Australia and other places, that that doesn't necessarily fit. That that. That's not exactly what happens. Right. I mean, on our website, we also go through, like, what's happened in those other countries. Uh, the UK, for example, uh, you know, people say, well, look, the UK has very strict gun control laws. Uh, they ban, uh, you know, handguns, and, uh, rifles and stuff. You can get a shotgun uh, if you go through a long licensing process. Uh, and they say, look, they have a low homicide rate, so it must be the strict gun control. But what they ignore is that uh, while the murder rate or homicide rate in the UK is, is still lower than the United States, it went up after you had uh, the handgun ban, for example, in 1997. Right. Um, the gap got smaller because it went up relative to the United States. So, you know, it's uh, or Australia. Um it's just kind of a complete misreading of the statistics to say that uh, their gun buyback that they had in uh, 1996 and 1997 lowered firearm homicides or firearm suicides or whatever. Um, you know, it's just uh, those have been falling for a decade and a half beforehand. Uh, they actually continued falling, but at a much slower rate after uh, the buyback had occurred. Um, uh, if people just compared the before and after average, but you know, if you just take a simple example, let's say it had been falling in a perfectly straight line before and afterwards. Right. Uh, would you look at that and say, well, it made a difference? I mean, the after average is below the before average, but uh, it's was going at exactly the same rate down beforehand as it was afterwards. Had no change in it at all uh you wouldn't say that it had an impact but in fact uh it started falling at a slower rate afterwards um and beyond all that um people were able to go back and buy guns again and by 2010 uh the gun ownership rate in australia was above what it was before the buyback yeah so you know it just makes no sense Dr. John Lott, our guest, again, uh, crimeresearch.org. That should be your clearinghouse for a lot of information and a lot of different things, including the new compiled cases where the concealed handgun permit holders have stopped, you know, likely mass public shootings and things like that. It is some fascinating data. Dr. Lott, we appreciate all your hard work, and we look forward to talking to you again here in the future. 
Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. As always, it is my pleasure, sir. Thank you for being part of it today. All right, folks, we are coming up uh, on the return. We're going to be jumping back into it here. We're going to open up the phone lines and do some open line, open forum, some gun Q&A, so to speak. And we're going to be talking about that and more. Just uh, continue in. If you'd like to call in, we're going to throw the phone lines open at uh, 907-433-3150. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns. One for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Michael Kinshaw. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature right here on the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station, and or translator, and around the world on the interwebs at MichaelDukeShow.com, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. We're, we're kind of uh, everywhere here this morning. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. We just finished up with Dr. John Lott, uh, director of the Crime Prevention Research Center, author of the books More Guns, Less Crime, and War on Guns, and many others as well. He's also a columnist and president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. You can go find out more about them at crimeresearch.org. They've got lots of interesting uh, studies and stats, and, and it's, a, it's a clearinghouse of a lot of good information out there. Uh, we're going to open up the phone lines for this segment. We've got Willie Waffle coming up at the end of the show today. Willie, of course, is going to give us our entertainment review, and we're going to talk to him uh, to kind of lighten the mood at the end of Firearms Friday as we do every day. But right now, let's open up the phone lines at 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150, any chat or discussion today. And uh, let me let me issue an invitation uh, to somebody, uh, I've also got some. Uh, we've also got some comments that we're going to talk about here in the chat rooms as well, including this latest that just popped up before we came back on the air. Uh, kind of a passive aggressive comment from somebody on YouTube, Chaco Olson, Chaco Olson, uh, who says, "I hope Dukes keeps this same tune if it's its own son or daughter that gets their brains blasted onto the floor of her next trip to the grocery store." Um, which again, kind of passive aggressive. Um, and the answer to your question is, 
Yes, that I mean that would be horrific, and I it's really hard for me to contemplate having five kids and thinking that one of them may be uh, killed in some uh, horrible, horrible fashion. Would that change my viewpoint on um, everything that we've been talking about today, as far as guns and uh, firearms and rights and protections and everything else? And the answer is, I don't think it would change my tune at all. Uh, because, uh, I mean, it would be horrific. I would obviously be heartbroken. I would be angry. Uh, it would be shattering, just as it is for every one of those parents at, you know, in Buffalo or Uvalde or Parkland or Columbine or any of the other tragedies that we can, you know, reel off from the past 30 years. Each one of those would be horrific. Um, but the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, it's either principled or it's not. You cannot make decisions on things like this on policy um, from an emotional standpoint. Uh, This goes back to, again, here's somebody who is trying to, again, turn the whole thing to emotion, to make it a personal tragedy for me, for example. They, you know, basically saying, boy, I hope your son or daughter gets killed so that you then have to face your principles in this situation. I mean, he didn't say it that exactly, but it's kind of the same passive aggressive thing. And I've had threats like this before on Facebook and other places where I had somebody sometime PM me and say, I hope your whole family gets killed with an AR-15 and then you'll have to deal with it kind of thing. And and look... People are trying to spin this in an emotional way, and I'm trying to make a point that, you know, first of all, statistically, the likelihood of this happening is fairly low uh, percentile-wise, especially if you're, you know, doing things like not putting your kids into a public school system with gun-free zones and everything else, Um, but also uh, to point out that, you know, you have to train yourself to be able to protect yourself. I mean, I teach my kids about situational awareness. I teach my kids about a lot, and my kids are really, most of them are not, my youngest is 16. So most of my kids are uh, nearly full-grown adults. And so uh, i am taught them this their entire lives to pay attention to what's going on around them and doing this. Now, could, could one of them potentially be killed? Yes, absolutely. Would it break my heart? Absolutely. Would it change my position on being able to defend myself or others? No. And in fact, a lot of my kids would be going out there as adults, going forth armed. Why? Because I've instilled in them those principles. Does that mean that they're bulletproof and that they may not be hurt in those situations? No, but at least they would have a reasonable ability to fight back. You know, I know that what this person just commented on YouTube is an attempt to try and shut me down, to try and shut down what I'm trying to portray to you, what I'm trying to tell you. And that is a tactic of those people who are full of, you know, who are full of, 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 the, of the wish that you all be disarmed, that we all just get in line and toe the line that Uncle Sugar says that we should toe and do what we need to do for the common good. That's exactly what that is. That comment is meant to shut people down, to stop the, you know, you can't answer to that. You can't answer back to that. Checkmate. I just throw your children on the bonfire. Checkmate. You can't answer to that. Yes, I can. Again, horrific to contemplate. 
but don't think I haven't contemplated it before. Don't think that I haven't thought of the potential for the worst case scenario and tried to plan for it. Hence the reason why I've carried a gun for 30 years. Because I've contemplated the worst case scenario. You know, I would say this to Chaka Olson. Chaka Olson. I would say this to you. How many of those parents wished they had been in the school and had been armed? How many teachers who were in that school or any of these schools wished they had had the ability to defend themselves? I mean, to put it back on you in that way, how many? 433-3150-907-433-3150. The call-in line powered by our friends at Satellite West. You can find out more about them at SatelliteWest.com. Let's go over to the phones and see what you guys have to say this morning. We start off over here. Good morning. Morning. Hey, hey Michael. F- hey, hey, Fred. Michael, how you doing? It's Fred in Rhode Island. How hey, you doing? Fred in Rhode Island. What's happening, my friend? Well, it's been an interesting week. Uh, they put the... Uh, up here in Rhode Island, they got the knee-jerk reaction from the from the you know the uh, uber uber liberal progressive left is yeah. putting, putting in a magazine ban and uh, there's three bills that just went to the House. Uh, the Judiciary Committee voted on them, and today it's going on to a floor vote from in the House over here in Rhode Island on a 10-round limit on magazines, a uh, 21, 20, 18 to 21 on any long any long long guns. And the uh, third one is, what is the third one? I'm trying to like my brain here. Uh, oh, yeah, carrying a loaded firearm in public. A loaded a loaded, a loaded long gun, a shotgun or a rifle in public. You know, those are the three that are going for a vote today in Rhode Island, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's not surprising. It's all a knee-jerk reaction to what happened in Uvalde and right. Buffalo. Well, I mean, let's and, break uh, that. Well, know, wait, 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 Fred. Let's break that down yeah. for a second. Let's break that down for a second. So no loaded long guns in public. Magazine ban. What was the middle one again? Middle one was raising 18 to 21. Okay, so 18 to 21. Just a long gun. All right, so let's look at all of those things real quick and take a look at that. So would these have fixed any of the shootings? Well, uh, the magazine ban wouldn't have made a difference, right? Because he had 47 minutes alone in a classroom. He could have reloaded as many times as he wanted in that time frame. Not having a loaded long gun in public. He'd already decided to go on a school ground with a loaded firearm, which is a federal felony. Uh, he'd already decided to murder people, also a felony, and everything else. Now, the one arguable thing, I guess, is raising the age from 18 to 21. In the Uvalde case... Well, maybe that would have made a difference. He wouldn't have been able to legally purchase his firearm. But that just takes me right back to the Newtown shooting where that shooter killed his mother with her own gun. She was an adult. She was well over 18. He killed her, took her gun, and then used that to shoot up a school. You know, the the Columbine kids, none of those kids were uh, of legal age to own any kind of firearms, and yet they did so. How is any of those things going to stop what has been happening in these cases? Uh, it wouldn't have any effect at all. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, that's the whole point. You know, it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to something that the Pied Piper has, uh, you know, whistled down, whistled down to the crowd. You know, and they're just eating it up. You know, they're just buying a hook, line, and sinker without any, without any question, without any common sense, without any forethought. 
You know, it's, it's really it's really stupid this whole thing. And just to comment on your friend there that called in, that Chucka there called in with his with his remarks. I mean, if anybody's going to say that publicly to another person, I'd put them in the same category as the nut jobs who do the mass shootings. I mean, they, he, this guy has got problems just to even think that you know to another person. You know, he 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 they should have a red flag on him right now. Should be kicking his door down and taking his guns away if he well, has any at all. Look, it's a rhetorical. He, he he sounds easy. He sounds like a very disturbed person to say something like that. Right. Well, person. look, it's a rhetorical. Well, it's a rhetorical maneuver. He's trying to shut down the conversation by trying to uh, you know to trying to to shut down the discussion and the argument over it. Um, and it's one that doesn't work on me. So it's you know again. Um, he's welcome to say whatever he wants, but his argument holds absolutely no water. And again, it's just nothing but a rhetorical trick in that regard. So, I mean, yeah, I, I well, would you know, like, go ahead, Fred. It, it kind of falls in the category. It kind of falls in the category of that, that guy trying to kill off the, uh, you know, Supreme court justice there, Kavanaugh, you know, that another nut job, you know, and, and he's a lefty too, believe it or not. You know, he, he, he is a progressive lefty that wants to go out. And you know, create a, a you know a mass a, an attack on another person, and they sit there and they sit you know they sit there and they they they, they, they kind of roll through a life with an impunity that if they are holier than thou, and and the whole thing the whole thing just stinks because I I firmly believe there's something the force driving this you know the school shootings the Buffalo shooting all these things all these little crazy actions that are happening and it just happens to be with the same particular type type of weapon. The AR-15, which is not a weapon of war, it's just another gun. But because it has the notoriety from the media, we know where they're coming from. You know, right, it, they right. sit there and they, it, 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 it just creates this, this effect. But I like, I like to, I like to find out who's behind it. I really would. I, right. I'd bring the news with me when you find it. Well, you know? I mean, look, as Dr. Lott just pointed out, the Buffalo shooter, for example, specifically chose the AR-15 because he knew it would raise the most, it would get the most attention. Egg, egg. They're, yeah, they're doing that exactly. for a reason. Exactly, and that's, yeah, and, yeah it, it, it's a deliberate. It's deliberate. I really want to see that investigated because I think that there's a driving force, either be international or within this country or some combination thereof. Is driving this, and uh, you know it could be. You know, it, it, and, these, and it's the people who are screaming the loudest, the Bloomberg, the Soros, all these people who are sitting in the shadows and pulling the strings and pushing the buttons. You know, who could be behind us? I'm not saying they are, because there's no evidence to that right now. Right now, but like in Watergate, you unravel it, and it's like an onion. You know, right, layer, layer after layer, after layer, after layer. layer. right. The, the A floor. new surprise and around I, I every corner. That, right. that, that that should be looked into. Fred, thank you for your call. I appreciate you calling in and joining us this morning. Uh, I've got a surprise guest on the phone who wants to talk about this, but I'm coming up on the break. Uh, I also have one call on the regular phone lines here, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this one caller real quick before we go to break, and then when we come back, we're going to jump in with our special guest. Uh, let's go to the phones real quick. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, hi, Mike. This is Brady from Vegas. Brady, quickly here. Yeah, really quick. Um what we're missing an issue is all these shooters that are killing all these people, the mass shooters, all have drug problems, psychological problems, and they're on really psychotropic drugs. And how are they getting these guns anyways if they're at the psychologist or psychiatrist? That's a failure of your background check right there. Yeah. So let's just get back to how all these guns are being had and get sure that anybody who's had a psychotropic problem or they're on psychotropic drugs, you're not going to get a gun. 
Right, Sorry. right. No, I agree, Brady. I mean, I think a lot of the problems you could see, psychotropics are involved in many of these shootings with the shooters. Uh, in the case of the Uvalde shooter, he had no indication. He was not being seen. He was not being medicated. But again, many times it has happened. So, But they never seem to want to talk about those components of it. There, This is not a single issue that's causing all this. There are many, many issues. It's not something that's going to be solved in a 148-character tweet, uh, unfortunately and that's what we're looking at right now. All right, we got special guests coming up in just a moment. Edie Grunewald is going to be joining us, uh, and she wants to kind of discuss this, I think, uh, what uh, what the comment in the chat room was. We're going to have that conversation in just a hot second. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. All right, we're in the break right now. Uh, Edie Grunwald actually joins us on the hotline here this morning uh, to talk about uh, some stuff. Uh, we want to touch base with her. <clears throat> excuse me, real quick before we uh, finish out the commercial break. Are you with us, Edie? Oh, yes, I'm here. Okay, good. Um, I definitely want to hear what you have to say. Do you mind holding for a minute here before we come back to radio? I want to have everybody on board when we uh, start talking about this, if you would. Yes, no problem. Okay, good. All right, Edie Grunewald's on hold right now with us. We're going to be talking with her here in just a hot minute. Um, but again, folks, this is nothing more than, again, just a rhetorical device, a, an attempt to shut down the discussion in the discourse by basically – I mean, it's almost not a form of ad hominem attack, trying to make it personalize it to you, to make you not want to talk about it, to shut people down. Well, if your children were, I mean, that you wouldn't want to, I win. I've won the conversation. No, you haven't won the conversation because you haven't thought all of this out to its logical conclusion. First and foremost, uh, I would hope that my children would be, uh, you know, a little bit more aware than the average bear, so to speak, of situations like that, that their fight or flight response is probably higher than most people and that they would be willing to de-escalate or de-ass the situation that means to leave the situation as quickly as possible. So maybe they wouldn't be involved in something like that. Uh, but the bottom line is it still doesn't change my outward perspective of <clears throat> we need to be able to defend ourselves regardless of what's happened. And in fact, I feel like I would be like several of the uh, 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 you know parents of victims of these kind of crimes. There's a couple parents in Parkland and a couple parents from one of the other shootings where they basically came out even stronger and said, this is why we need more you know, the ability to defend ourselves, defend our children, and do things like that. Uh, the, the, the proclivity of the gun-free zone is adding to this. I agree with Dr. Lott. I mean, if, if everywhere you go, it used to be, I was reading something the other day, something about, you know, that the well-dressed gentleman would always have a pistol on his person. This is from like the 1920s, 1930s, and they were talking about being a well-dressed, you know, well-versed gentleman and everything. They would always have a pistol on their person. Uh, and this goes back to Heinlein's quote. Somebody I saw somebody quoted earlier uh, in the chat room. Uh, basically saying an armed society, it was Barbara, on an ar well, she said a well-armed, but it's an armed society is a polite society. Meaning if you could walk into a room and not know who's carrying a firearm or not, you're going to watch your P's or Q's. If you decided to go in there and do, uh, do harm to people, well, 
<clears throat> surprising if uh, half the room turns around and shoots you, that is going to give you some pause. Whereas if you go to an area that you know that average law-abiding citizens are going to try and follow the letters of the law and not be armed and everything else, you've got fish in a barrel. And that's the difference. That is the major difference there. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's, it's horrific. Uh, Herder says, um, missing a lot, bad internet, but creating a criminal class of people who have not committed any crime and with overwhelming probability will not commit one with any firearm does not stand a test to reason. Only proposing to restrict one's ability to defend oneself being in violation of something so basic, all in light of evidence, all has been given by Dr. Lott as well. And agreed. I mean, in no, the one thing that nobody talks about in the mainstream media, we talk about it here on the program quite frequently, is not just the violence that's committed with firearms, the number of people who are killed or hurt or robbed, but the one thing that's not discussed is the defensive gun uses. And I was, I was happy and surprised to see that Dr. Lott has been collating cases where armed citizens have stopped uh, mass shootings and other instances. But as I pointed out earlier, based on the various, you know, different studies from different areas around the war, around the country, that even the lowest, even the lowest number from the Harvard Business School says that there are 90,000 instances of defensive gun use across the country every year. 90,000. When we have a death rate of about 11 or 12,000 people being killed by guns, 90,000 defensive gun uses. That ha I mean that's mind and that the upper limit on that by the way is two and a half million. There's a big difference there. All right, Edie Grunewald's our guest. We're jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. All right, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. One final segment before we, I can't, I mean, we're just blasting through the show. I can't believe it. Uh, definitely the fastest two hours in radio. Uh, coming up now, our guest uh, on the program uh, calling into us is Edie Grunewald, who uh, is uh, currently a candidate for lieutenant governor, but I think uh, she's not necessarily calling in uh, with that hat on today. She's calling in as a parent who has experienced some of this tragedy. Uh, she made a comment in the chat room after I read that other comment out loud, and I think she wants to uh, comment on it, uh, and so we bring her on right now. Good morning, Edie. How are you? I'm pretty good, Michael. Thank you. Good morning. And yes, um, you're correct. I wanted to chat real quick about what that um chuck olson um said to you which uh i i think is um wrong at every level you know being that my son um at 16 years old was um, murdered with a firearm by other young people it, it was kind of interesting because <clears throat> i got invited to speak at um certain places and I, I realized that as I was speaking and the questions that were coming up, they thought that I would be for gun control. And then, of course. <laughs> well, that must right. have been shocking for them. It, it was. And then they started, you know, trying to um, show me wrong. And uh, just me being me told them pretty much how it was and, and what was going on. And, you know, they, they cut me short because I didn't fit their, one second, their narrative. 
And uh, right. I even got invited to participate in confiscating guns from young people. They, you know, they were trading. They were going to turn in these um, illegal guns that are passed around or stolen, and they would get a, a gift card. And they would also get immunity. And so I asked this person, I said, I'm not, I, there is no way I could participate in something like that. Why would I give or even think about giving immunity if a crime or a murder or anything has been um, utilizing one of these guns that were turned in? Right, right. No, it makes no sense. I mean, this situation, and, and again, you know, the loss of any life is tragic, uh, especially the loss of a child is tragic. But to think that they can use this rhetorical device to basically say, oh, you're not really – basically what the, what, the, what, what Chaco is saying is that I basically am uh, – don't be, really believe in the principles that I'm saying, that if it was me, it would be a whole different story. And I think you're a prime example of, no, that's not necessarily the case. The principles still hold. We still need to be able to defend ourselves. We still need to be able to defend our families uh, and everything else. But this is the kind of emotional rhetoric that's used against gun owners and others. This is part of that whole process of saying, if you don't support the gun control measures that we do, then you're responsible for the killing of these children. That's essentially the blame. Right. And, and it's, that's just wrong at every level. It's, um, it's hateful. And I would never, ever, 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 ever even insinuate something like that to, to get up, make a point across because that's just low. Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, but this is the tactic of the day, right? Again, mm-hmm. it was a way to try and rhetorically shut the conversation down. Uh, and instead, right. it has spurred the conversation on further. It had exactly the opposite effect. But there are many people out there that would have gone, oh, oh, you're right. I, I hadn't thought about it from my point of view and, and everything else. Again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to minimize the tragedy of what's going no. on. And when no, we talk about things, never. yeah, when we talk about things like statistics and the number of people killed and all those other things, that's not to diminish the no. the tragedy of each and every death. It's to say that what we're seeing here, people, is a fear campaign that's being built by news media and politicians greedy with power who want to make you feel like this is happening everywhere, all the time, every day, and that you need to be fearful the minute you step out your front door or maybe even inside your own home because something like this is going to happen. And yet statistically, again, we're talking about a fraction of a fraction of a percentile that of people, bad people doing bad things. Uh, against legalized gun- so you want to punish and penalize 99.9 plus percent of all lawful gun owners for the actions of these handful of few and people are starting to see through that and i think that's part of the it's part of the issue here yeah the um other thing that it sounds like isn't being talked about that much are the illegal guns uh that are passed around the these uh you know the thugs and the bad actors and the young people you know they're trading it for for drugs and they want to look like in my case you know those were all stolen guns that they were passing around i mean 16 17 and 19 year olds have it's already illegal to have a handgun much less a stolen handgun so if, right. if you want to push some laws that might 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 make a difference is you know if you have somebody that's got a stolen handgun no matter what the age you know uh slap a significant charge with a significant um uh, sentence or on there and uh make it an issue that stolen guns are guns used with um in crimes 
you know, raise it up to the felony level, not right. um, some C or A misdemeanor. Right. So. No, absolutely. I mean, you've got to punish the perpetrators, and that's the thing. It's become a revolving door. I'm reminded of John Stossel's interview uh, here a few years ago with a bunch of prison inmates. He actually sat down with a bunch of inmates who were in prison, and he actually asked them, how long would it take you after you leave this prison to get a firearm? And they said about 90 minutes. About 90 minutes from the time that they walk out the gate of the prison, they could get a firearm. And and again, most of them illegally traded firearms, ones that are passed right. around, ones that are straw purchased by somebody else or, or you know, whatever. Criminals are not going to have a problem breaking the law and doing it that way. No. All you're doing here is, is outlawing and criminalizing law-abiding citizens. And that's the tragedy of this whole thing. And it, and it makes it that much cooler, that much, um, you know, gang, gang, I'm, I'm going to have a notch in my belt for them to uh, get a hold of a firearm and do something with it. Yeah. Well, it's frustrating. And again, as somebody who's gone through this kind of tragedy, Edie, it's it's good to see your response. Uh, it's your response to that kind of stuff. Uh, I got to be honest, this, this whole thing, uh, you know, for me is very frustrating to watch because the emotion overwhelms the situation so much. Right. This idea that they must do something. Now, I mean, obviously when this happened to you is tragedy, but I mean, did, did you feel like somebody had to do something, that there was some law that would have been passed that would have changed this for you? Or uh, Actually, one of the things that um, they give you in people that have been crimes of victims is to not jump too quickly to change a law or to make a law that um, could have unintended consequences. And to actually, you know, wait throughout the process and um, analyze it and see what may or may not have um, made a difference. And of course, for us, uh, you know, there's no going back. But the only thing I could really do is look forward to see and consider what things would make a difference in the future for people. And it could be something even as easy as once somebody is convicted, how long do, do, does an Alaskan wait for a sentence? Right. One year, three years, five years. Let's talk. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, may not have much to do with gun control, but that's one of the that that's in the process of the in the legal process, the justice process. Yeah. So, well, no, don't jump into making a law that that would have unintended consequences and really wouldn't affect the issue. Well, and we know that we know that every law has unintended consequences, some worse than others. But we know that laws that are made on the spur of the moment, made in in the heat of emotion, have a tendency to have worse unintended consequences than others. And we cannot set national policy based on an emotionally charged moment. That makes no Correct. sense whatsoever. And that's what we've ended up doing in this country with gun laws over the last 80 years is we've done a lot of that. And unfortunately, right. it has not fixed the situation. In fact, it's made it worse, in my opinion. Right. So. And, and I think that when somebody presents an issue, it really sh- they should present the whole issue. Because you mentioned people, the um, law-abiding citizens who carry, who have thwarted and even stopped in, in a defensive situation, what could have been uh, a mass killing. Right. No. And that's one thing that's never talked about. The defensive gun use. Right. Again, on the low end, they say 90,000 times a year. On the upper end, it was several million. And in fact, the median, which is the Glick and the, the Wise and Glick study, shows that it's about two and a half million times a year law-abiding armed Americans stop a crime. Now, whether that's just a rape, a robbery, you know, some kind of aggravated assault or whether it's murder or a mass shooting, they, they stop them right. two million right. times a year. 
So you take all the guns away from Americans, that's two million more times that a crime can occur Um, because that's what criminals do. They prey on the weak. And if you are unable to defend yourself, you're the definition of weak at that point uh, because they are not going to obey those same laws. So. Uh, Edie, thank you for calling in and giving us your perspective. It's uh, it's heartfelt, and I appreciate it, and uh, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Talk uh, to you later. Thanks for calling up and uh, joining us today. Well, that actually brings us right up to the uh, – that brings us right up to the break. Dang, man, that was – I mean, the show is usually fast, but that's like crazy fast. All right, we're out of time. we got more. Willie's going to be calling in a minute, and we'll be talking to him. Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. It is The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. The Michael Duke Show is brought to you by Satellite West. Find out more at SatelliteWest.com. All right. Um, yeah, it's just astonishing. I mean, first, I mean, just the, the poor, first of all, using it as a rhetorical device, one thing. Second of all, this is just in poor taste. You know, it's almost like we wish your children would die. That's just, it's just, you know. But the internet makes cowards bold. That's what's going on. The internet makes cowards bold. They can sit behind their keyboards and say whatever the hell they want. Because bold. Anonymity. Uh, yeah, special thanks to Edie Grunewald for calling in. I mean, this is it's got to be heartbreaking to talk about, but it's also good to talk with somebody who's been through that situation and can add some perspective to it. And uh, I really appreciate that. Um, all right, we're waiting for Willie. I just got another phone call on hold, though, here. I guess we'll go to the call and do it off the air because we can. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Michael, Carlene, I don't want to be on the air. You're fine. Good show. Good show today. Yeah. I mean, it is every week, but this was just energetic and alive. Yeah, no, this is a very Thank good show. You. you know it's a good show when you blink and it's 90 minutes later. You're like, what What just happened? I just, I don't know what happened, but it's we got through <laughs> it very quickly. Um, and lots of good information. Yeah. So. Dr. John Lotz, I've heard him on uh, Charlie Kirk's show and Tony Perkins' show, so I'm getting familiar with his voice and on your show quite a few times. Yeah, no, uh, Dr. Lott is an amazing uh, guest. Um, he's got a lot of uh, information, um, sometimes too much information. Sometimes he can overwhelm you with information, but his books are amazing. Uh, I recommend anybody who hasn't read More Guns, Less Crime. I mean, you got to remember where Dr. Lott came from. He was a statistician that was ambivalent to guns. He had no dog in the fight or anything else. But after he wrote More Guns, Less Crime as a statistician, uh, he kind of got launched into the national spotlight, and he has become a pro-gun advocate because he realizes – all the misinformation that's being put forward out there and the lies that are being told. And it forced him from the middle. He was, again, ambivalent to guns. He's now become a pro-gun crusader because he understands where this is going. And so it's a definitely a – I remember I first talked to him before he was really pro-gun. His interviews early on on this show 15 years ago were very different than his interviews today. I'll tell you that for nothing. 
and he simplified it today. Seems like Jacob Solom, um, I have a hard time understanding. Sometimes I have to really pray for wisdom a lot. And uh, But I do like him, and I yeah. see his articles in our newspaper. Yeah, Jacob, but, um, Jacob Solom. Thank you so yeah. much, Michael. Jacob Solom's a good writer. I'm working on getting Robbie Sove from Reason Magazine on because he's been following a lot of these things, and he's been talking about the reaction from the Uvalde Police Department and how that is really the cri- that that is really the crime and what's going on here the fact that they sat outside for over an hour from the first time that the that the first nine one one call came in to the time that the border patrol finally told the Uvalde police to go pound sand because they'd been holding them back and they went in on their own, um, and uh, so Robbie Sove has been following that as well. He writes for Reason, uh, so we're going to get him on next week, I think, uh, as well. So, um, but Carlene, thank you for your kind People words. Are, huh? Go People ahead. People are surprised at the pushback. Thanks, Michael. Yep. No, absolutely. Thank you for your kind words. We appreciate you calling in and joining us as well. Uh, David says, I appreciate that segment. Thank you, Edie. And ah, yes, the keyboard warriors, America's army of loudmouth wimps. I mean, that's the thing. When you look at where I post and things like that, I'm using my name, my real name. Not that that stops some people from saying rude and stupid and sometimes offensive things, but there's a lot of people out there. Uh, especially in places like YouTube and others, uh, YouTube or Twitch, where they are a pseudonym. You don't know who they are. They, you know, they don't put a picture up. They don't do anything else. And they say things like that. Because, again, anonymity makes the cowards bold. They don't want to have to actually. I mean, I invited Chaco to call in. If you want to call in and have a conversation about it, we can. We've had conversations on this show with people who are vehemently anti-gun. And they've been about reasonable conversations. It's not like we haven't had uh, disagreements, but we're not yelling at each other. We're not talking over each other. We're trying to have a reasoned discussion. But see, that's not the point. The point is, is that they don't want to have a reasoned discussion. They want you to shut up. They want you to shut up. And they want you to toe the line and do what you're told because they know best. Because if just there was just no guns, it would all be great. Except for the fact that the problem is, is that there's never going to be no guns. Even in places like Australia and England and all these other places that they point to, there are still guns. And in fact, the bikies in Australia, the biker gangs, they call them bikies, the bikies in Australia have made it a cottage industry, not just to create guns, but to create machine guns for criminals. They have busted whole machine shops where they have found that they have been in the manufacturing process of manufacturing machine guns. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's just insane. Absolutely insane. All right. Uh, we're 20 seconds out. I can see my phone is buzzing. Oh, and there's the ding. We're getting ready to do it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio. Do me a favor, like, and share this show, like, and follow the show page. J- check us out on Patreon. Become a member of the Common Sense Corps. Here we go. All right. Okay. I'm done for the week already. I just don't even want to do the rest of the day at this point. But that's okay. It's uh, the way to take us into it. The weekend, it's Willie Waffle, WaffleMovies.com. Our entertainment reporter and movie critic extraordinaire, 
I don't know if that's giving him too much power or not, but it is what it is. And he's here to join us to give us the rundown. Hello, my friend. Flattery will get you everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that was a complete compliment. <laughs> that was that was not a demeaning comment at all. It was a complete compliment. No. I'll take everything I can get. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, so entertainment news. I, I mean, I just don't even know where to start at this point. I guess we could start with what I thought was really kind of a brilliant movie uh, in the comic book genre, although it didn't really feel like a comic book movie, and that was Joker. Uh, they're talking about a sequel. Give us the rundown here. Yeah, I am in shock at this one. So, yeah, I'm with you. I thought Joker was one of the best movies I've seen in the last few years. I just, you know, it's such a great character, such a great story, such great mayhem. I mean, th th this was a very, very good movie. And, you know, the thought was, how could they ever top it? How could they ever do something like that again? And then this week, the director, Todd Phillips, put out a picture of the screenplay he's written for part two. This is going to be called Joker... Folia Du, which is, uh, I believe that's uh, French for madness yeah, or something. It's the madness of two, yep. Yep, the madness of two. So they are working on a sequel. And, uh, and yes, Joaquin Phoenix is looking at the script. So that still means they're a ways away. They, they know that they're, you know, I say if they're looking at scripts now, they're probably not shooting until next year. And you're bringing this out maybe in the fall or, or the fall of the year after that. But I just, there's a part of me that wishes they don't do it. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. And thank God there's not a sequel. Because it's just that one moment you captured everything. And I feel like that for Joker. I feel like in that one moment, in that one movie, they captured a great character, a great story. How the heck are they ever going to go back to it? Yeah. Well, that's a good that's a good question, uh, and, and what I found especially interesting about it is that it's a movie based in comic book lore, but it did not have any. There was no comic-y issues of it. It was just like an everyman drama. If you had not said Joker and he just painted his face like a mime, it would still have been an interesting. It was going to be a fascinating story into the, kind of the descent of madness. Uh, but how are they going to do that without bringing oh, I don't know the bat into it? I, I just don't know. Well, and, and that's the thing, you know, the, the the big theory out there, and this is based on nothing other than the idea of the title, is that who shares the madness with the Joker? Well, that would Harley probably be, Quinn. I was just going to say that would probably be yep. her doctor, Dr. Quinn. Yep. Dr. Quinn, med, med woman. All right. Well, I'm, yep. I'm, I'm down. I'm hooked. I'm, I'll, I'd go for it. So let's uh, watch it. Speaking of Batman, um, apparently... Uh, the, the OG Batman, the OG, like back in the day, one of the first real, you know, nineties comic book movies, the Batman with Michael Keaton. Uh, some of the, uh, some of the principals in that are back to do a brand new movie for HBO. Yeah, this is actually really cool. So HBO Max is doing a Batgirl movie, and it's going to star uh, J.K. Simmons as Commissioner Gordon, and uh, you know who is in this. Well, in in all the iterations, you know Batgirl's father, and he does not know that. Right. It's right. going to have Brendan Fraser as the as Firefly, the villain. So you now she's got a villain to fight. But the thing that shocked everybody, the announcement that got everybody excited, the announcement that the directors couldn't hold back on, they announced that, yes, Michael Keaton has agreed to appear as Batman in the Batgirl movie. This would be <laughs> his second 
appearance. Now, he, he's also supposed to appear as the original Batman in the Flash movie, which isn't going to come out until like June of next year. Yeah, and, and I don't want to say it too loudly. If it actually comes out with all the problems he's having. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, you know, he, he's now Michael Keaton is going to appear in the HBO version, which is going to be out I, like in this fall. So he's going to show up here first, even though he recorded The Flash a while ago. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, but, but you know, I mean, the, the short story for everybody who, who might not know. So Ezra Miller, uh, who plays The Flash, has many, many legal problems because he is not acting like a sane person. He is breaking into people's houses. He is harassing he is acting like somebody who just wants to go to jail. He's acting like the Joker instead of the Flash. Right. He's got uh, some serious issues, which uh, surprise, surprise, surprise. Um, anyway, it's uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if that happens. Uh, what I find interesting is that Michael Keaton has now played heroes in two different universes. The DC universe, of course, is Batman and also as Vulture in the Marvel universe. Uh, he's yeah. played in a couple of movies in that. What I used to, what I always really found interesting was that um, he would, according to Tom Holland, they'd be in these fight scenes where they were struggling up close and, you know, rat, you know wrestling with each other and everything. And he said, Michael Keaton would lean into his ear and go, I'm Batman. Uh, just... <laughs> This is why Michael Keaton is the most awesome person oh, on the he, planet. He is amazing. And, and don't forget, there's talk about Beetlejuice 2 yeah. with Michael Keaton and possibly Johnny Depp. Oh, what about Winona Ryder? I mean, she... You well, know, she yeah, would be yeah. in there, too. She would be in there, yeah. too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Man. But, uh, you know, so Michael Keaton basically saying, I'm 70 years old and I am cashing in on everything that I have done in my life, okay? Yeah. You know, and, and, and I love the fact that he balances it with other stuff. Like if if you have not seen Dope Sick on Hulu, you sit yourself down this weekend and you just get blown away because Michael Keaton is just a genius in this movie. You know, playing a doctor who becomes addicted to to uh, to opioids oh. and and de and dealing with this. You know, you know, conversely, you know, uh, you know, prescribing these to people and finding out how horribly addictive they are and getting caught up in the trap himself. It, yeah. it, it's an amazing, amazing series. All right. Uh, well, that's good. We got some comic book stuff. Uh, and then we've got Nev Campbell, who... This is awesome. So those of you who don't know, <laughs> Nev Campbell was on, uh, was it Dawson's Creek or 90210? And then she made... No, the, I think it was Party of Five. Party of Five. That's what it was. Yep. And then she made the leap to the big screen with the Scream movies. That was her big break. And she proceeded to do five Scream movies. The most... I mean, she there was a big break. She finally did this last fifth one. But she was offered Scream 6 and she said... I'm sorry, peasants, you're not offering me enough money. <laughs> this is the greatest quote of the week. Her response was, quote, the offer did not equate to her value. What? what, what oh, I'm sorry, Nev. Is this going to take away from your, your Oscar-winning role with Leonardo DiCaprio? Is this going to interfere with your Marvel series? Give me a break. Nobody, uh, literally, there are people who have no idea who she is anymore. Exactly. Well, before this, because you had sent me the list of things we were going to talk about, I actually went on to IMDb because I was like, I mean, I love Nev Campbell. She's, I think she's she's great. She's, you know, whatever. But I was like, man, I, I can't think of. So I went back. 2011 was the last Scream movie. That was Scream 4, right? So from two, well, yeah. 2011 to 2022, she did nothing but television shows like one shot 
I appeared in one episode of Grey's Anatomy or this thing. I played, I was in, you know, a handful of episodes of House of Cards, and that's pretty much it for for 12 years. I mean, you think, are people just banging down your door, getting ready to do this? I just don't even understand. No, no, and no, and 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 that's what just blows my mind. You you now have a comeback, okay? You know, you you were in kind of this reboot version of Scream that came out last year. Now you've got an opportunity to to continue that work, to continue the probably the best paycheck you've gotten in ten years, and and you're holding out for more. I mean, how much more do you think you can get, Nev Campbell? I mean, you know. People who look like her are a dime a dozen. We can get a whole bunch of them in there. Hey, you know what else they can do? They can do like they do with all the other horror movies. We'll just some we'll get some kid that nobody knows that's off some Disney series who's going to be grateful to have the job, and the same amount of people are going to buy tickets. No one. Hey, <laughs> Nev, let me tell you something. Here's a little secret. Now keep this one between us, okay, Nev? Yeah. No one's paying to see you. Yeah. No, no I mean, one. I mean, maybe it's a tactic. I don't know. But I mean, at that point, you just got to sound like, ooh, you think your poo don't stink. I mean, that's just, uh, yeah, interesting to say the least. Yeah. So you know how the next Scream movie starts? Yeah. Everybody's standing around her grave it's... to teach her a lesson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how that goes. Let's get on to the movies and the streams. Um, Netflix movie, Adam Sandler. Uh, who, eh, uh, let's face it, I haven't watched an Adam Sandler movie in several years. Uh, he's got a new Netflix deal. This one's called Hustle. Yeah, I know. And, and, you know, normally you hear Adam Sandler Netflix movie and you get horrible visions of Hubie, of Hubie Halloween. I get it. And in all those really just horrible movies that he did over the years. This is This is another example of Adam Sandler trying again. And and this is what is so refreshing, you know. Uh, he's he's really good, you know. He was really great in that Uncut Gems movie that came out a couple years ago. Right, right. You know, again, a movie where he's trying and he's trying here, and and it really is kind of a rocky story. I mean, in in every sense of the word, you know. Here he is, this tired, worn out basketball scout. You know, he's trying to get excited about the game again. And he's out there, you know, traveling the world. He comes across this street game in Spain. And he thinks he's found the next greatest basketball player. And all he wants to do is bring this guy to his team and make a superstar out of him. And and you see kind of the challenges that, that he's facing, that this basketball player is facing. You know, you, you've got all, all the, the all the waterworks are flowing, people. Okay. You're you're gonna you're gonna want some tissues because everybody's had a hard life and they gotta overcome stuff. And that's what this movie is. And you're gonna feel his pain and you're gonna see his challenges. You're gonna root for him when the whole world and all all the bad guys thinks he's an idiot and uh you're gonna you're gonna see a montage or five <laughs> or five <laughs> yeah. right. that's the that's the funny thing hustle is like two hours long i swear to god half an hour of it is just montages okay. i'm just like yo like dude like you're really overdoing it here i get it he's working out and trying to get in shape understood right right <laughs> so but it sounds like you kind of like this one uh negative one to four waffles. Oh, yeah. what do you say Going three and a half waffles. This this is a lot of a lot of good stuff going on here. It's a lot of heart, and it's not. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't mind me to watch a little Happy Gilmore every now and then, but sometimes it just got ridiculous. Um, but this, uh, you know, he he can do dramatic when he wants to. 
Yeah, and, and and I think that this is the kind of character he does so well. Kind of the schlubby every guy. You right. know, he's, he, he's nothing special. He's he's like some guy that you'd be working with, you know, or you'd be sitting next to at the diner, and you'll like him because he's a decent fella, and that comes through in this movie. Right, okay. Uh, we're on to the next big Disney thing. This is Miss Marvel, Ms. Marvel, the si- the series on Disney+. Plus. Um, more More Marvel stuff on Disney. What do we got? Oh yeah, but you know, here this is this is this is where this is really special. This is where Disney takes the Disney young adult tween formula and mixes it with the Marvel superhero formula and they're hoping that they make gold, right? They're hoping it's like putting peanut butter in your chocolate baby. And there's a lot of good stuff going on here. There this is actually fairly good. So, you know, it is it's about this young girl, you know, lives in Jersey City and uh, you know, she idolizes Captain Marvel. And, uh, you know, let's just say her parents don't understand it. And they want, they're a little bit more conservative and they don't, right. they don't want to see her running around with all these crazy costumed people at these, uh, at these conventions. And don't forget, we're also in a world where the superheroes really exist. Right. So she, this, is, this is like a hero worship. And uh, it turns out she receives a gift. And this gift mysteriously starts to give her the powers of Captain Marvel. And, Somebody at the school has found out that she has this. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I sounds interesting. Uh, what do you think overall? I'm going three waffles out of four. I think, you know, there's this young gal, Iman Vellani, uh, who plays Kamala, who's, who's the, the lead. She is Ms. Marvel, is extremely charming. Uh, you know, she she is the 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 ultimate uh, typical kind of tween girl. You know, the tween nerd girl who you know has the bullies at school, but also has her really cool friends. And you know, if people just would get to know her, they'd realize how awesome she was. Okay, all right. <laughs> well, I'm down to watch it. Uh, we'll have to see uh, Disney Plus, Ms. Marvel. Uh, all right, my friend. Thanks for coming in. We will see you next week. Oh, I can't wait. You know, next week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the new Disney movie, Lightyear. Okay. I'm all about it. Back with more on Monday, folks. Have a great day. We're at Great Weekend. We'll see you then. All right. I did finish Bosch Legacy, and who oh boy, oh boy, oh no, <laughs> oh boy, now, that's so now good. I got to get caught up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so good. Uh, and my wife and I, uh, this last week, uh, it was a Tuesday or Wednesday, we started watching Stranger Things. And, oh yes, and uh, dang, that show is—it's like it's so. It's like an easy drinking, right? It slips down so smooth. The next thing you know, you're halfway through. You're like, wow, that is so, yeah. so good. I can't wait to finish it uh, this weekend. Um, but uh, really, some great storytelling. 
Oh, yeah, and, and the thing that's really awesome about Stranger Things this time around, um, you know, I think, well, I think maybe what's awesome, but also sometimes a hindrance. Um, they, they have a lot of money to spend on this thing, and every episode is like an, an hour and 20 minutes, yeah, and they've, yeah. got, they've got a special effects budget that they've never had in their entire lives, and, and I think there's a little bit of overindulgence going on. I think they could, they could cut some of the fat out of here. I think they could, they could kind of streamline this a little bit and make it awesome instead of really great, uh, you know, so that maybe, maybe that's kind of, you know, a little, little bit of, a, of, of knick-knack or ticky-tack uh, criticism nitpicking. there. You're nitpicking yeah. now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, a little bit. You I, don't know. Know. I don't know, man. I loved it. I just let it flow through me. I don't mind it at all. Give me the give me the dirty, ugly, upside-down nastiness. That's fine. Give me the CGI because it looks good. I mean, it looks really good. It really does. And, and, you know, I think what they do so well is that, you know, every season is like this, right? They break up the gang. You know, so there's like three different groups of people yep. who are all on these individual journeys. And we know they're all going to come together at the end for the, the big grand finale. And, and only if they join forces can they truly win. And you're going to see that here. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the only thing that I think is out there is, uh, you know, I, I love the show. I love the characters. But it's kind of like The Sopranos. It's a little unrealistic that everybody's going to survive, guys. Well, I don't know. I just, I just, all I want to know is, is Steve going to have to continue to be the babysitter? That's all I want. <laughs> he will always have to be the babysitter because that's what we enjoy yeah, and that's what we need. Okay, that's, and, the, and, you know, that's the running joke. Yeah, that's a running joke for four, for four seasons. Is he's just the babysitter at this point. Uh, I'm looking for. I went to watch the boys, and then I realized there was only three episodes, and I'm like, I freaking hate you yeah people. yeah i, hate I you. think they're doing it like three two and two or something in, in consecutive weeks or something along those lines just give them all to me just give yeah. them all to me yeah. now i'm not canceling my subscription i'm going to watch it afterwards just give them all to me now all right yeah. sorry that's my rant all right my friend we will see you uh next week with uh with the light year i don't it's like more for kids i guess but oh yeah well it, uh, it is know. it is supposed to be the story of the real buzz light year the man they they based the toy off of you know so so the idea is think, think of it in these terms if they made a if they made a donald trump doll Tim Allen would have been the doll, but there would have been somebody it was based off of, and we're going to see that in this movie. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we'll have to see what it looks like. I'm sure it, I'm sure they'll be making money with it. All right. Uh, Willie Waffle, Waffle Movies. Thank you, my friend. Hey, you got it. I'll talk to you next week. All right, folks. We really got to go this time. Uh, we're going to talk to Eskimo Libertarian next week. We're also going to be, uh, I think Timothy Givens is going to be joining us. Uh, maybe Mike Shower, Sarah Palin. Plus our regular guests. We're going to have a lot, of, a lot of stuff going on next week. So stay tuned. There you go. Don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Don't forget to uh, don't forget to uh, join the Common Sense Core. If uh, you want to do it, Common Sense Core, of course, is where you become a fan of the show. You know, a couple bucks a month, you get access to the Facebook group and more. Go check it out. MichaelDukeShow.com. Just look for the big Join the Core banner at the top of the page. All right, got to go. We'll see you on Monday.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 